This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. All children, except one, grow up. They soon know that they will grow up, and the way Wendy knew was this. One day, when she was two years old, she was playing in a garden, and she plucked another flower and ran with it to her mother. I suppose she must have looked rather delightful, for Mrs. Darling put her hand to her heart and cried, Oh, why can't you remain like this forever? This was all that passed between them on the subject. But henceforth, Wendy knew that she must grow up. You always know after you are two. Two is the beginning of the end. Hello, everybody, and welcome to By the Book. I am Lee Chui Lin, and with me is my fellow lost boy, Sharmila Ganesan. <laughs> Thank you. Is, is that actually an honour? I suppose it is. Um, and we are talking today, of course, about the writer, the creator of The Lost Boys himself, Sir James Matthew Barry, uh, better known as J.M. Barry, perhaps best known as uh, the person who wrote the various Peter Pan works. And um, we are dedicating our monthly bibliography episode to him because how many years ago was this now? Well, anyway, he was born on the 9th of May, 1860. Jane Berry, I think, is um, we're actually continuing on our streak of talking about authors who, despite having done a lot of different things, end up being the most known for one particular thing, right? Um, and Jane Berry, if there was one thing that everyone thinks of when you mention his name, it's Peter Pan. And with really good reason, because not only has it been reinterpreted and presented in so many ways, there's just something about the story of Peter Pan, I think, that speaks to the core of a lot of us. And, and, and when I say a lot of us, on the one hand, children and adventures, yes. But I think more significantly, adults who kind of have that weird nostalgia for when they were children themselves. So um, I, I reference our first bibliography episode quite often, uh, Shakespeare, and I think that that's because uh, we spoke extensively about the impact that he ended up having, not just on literature, but also on our lexicon. And um, and I'm doing it now for a very particular reason, because I don't think that a lot of the writers that we've spoken about since have had a similar impact on language. Uh, J.M. Barry, oddly enough, um, and this is something that I didn't know, you know, in some ways really has. Uh, we all know somebody who you would call a Peter Pan or somebody who has Peter Pan syndrome or what have you. Um, but what I didn't know was that he originated the name Wendy. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that either. Yes, and, and that Wendy became, uh, there was a spike in the, the the popularity of the name, partly because before this it wasn't a name, uh, but also because it was from a little girl um, who, who found it difficult to pronounce, was it Friendy? Or, mm -hmm. yes, and, and ended up saying Wendy, and, and thusly was the name Wendy born. Um, a Wendy house also is a name for the playhouse that many people build and, you know, put up for children. All these things um, I just didn't know. Um, but yes, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's start at the beginning. So James Matthew Barry um, was born in Scotland um, to a relatively conservative middle class family. And he was actually born into a very large family, which is an important part of the story. He was the ninth child um, and two of them had actually died before he was even born. And that's significant to say because in many ways, J.M. Barry's life throughout, even from the time he was a child, um, has been informed and shaped by loss and grief. Um, one of the earliest stories that... Uh, that we know of him is how his brother passed away when he was six in an ice skating accident. And 
his mother never quite recovered from it. And, and J.M. Barry was very close to his mother. And in fact, there are these really sad stories about how he um, would put on his brother's clothes and, and uh, speak like his brother or whistle like his brother uh, to, to fill his brother's place in some ways. And uh, the fact that uh, his mother then at some point said she found comfort in the fact that the son who had died, David, would be a boy forever. He'd never grow up and he'd never leave her. Um, and, in, you know, you can see this, the strains of that in Peter Pan. And as you as you mentioned about uh, the, the girl who eventually birthed the name Wendy, there are lots of these strains in J.M. Barry's life that eventually end up in a lot of his writings, his plays, and but most significantly, I think, in Peter Pan. Yes. So he knew he wanted to be a writer from a pretty young age. Um, he was somebody who, again, sometimes we talk about authors and we talk about the various jobs that they had, right? Whether it was, I don't know why the the profession accountant is what's coming to mind, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, they, they held a variety of jobs in order to make ends meet. Uh, the same is not necessarily true for J.M. Barry, who actually started off submitting stories to a uh, London newspaper and they liked the Scottish flavour that he brought to that particular story, which had been... Um, which he had based on the stories that he'd heard from his grandparents about where they came from. And so he kind of got into writing and in many ways stayed in writing because that then started off um, a career as an erstwhile novelist. Uh, but mostly, I think the bulk of his work really lay in um, in plays, in, in writing plays, writing for the stage, not always successfully, but eventually and in his lifetime, um, he was actually very, he was wealthy and well-known for doing exactly what it is that he's still well-known for today. Yeah, in fact, he's actually written a lot more plays than he has novels. Most of his novels, if not all, um, are all related to Peter Pan in some way or the other. But his plays, on the other hand, actually really run the gamut. They do social commentary. Um, there are inspired stories that are inspired by real people. So there, there are a whole bunch of things that he worked on. Um, but... Peter Pan, in fact, also started as a play um, and it was initially presented as such, even though the character of Peter Pan initially appeared in a um, a collection of stories called The Little White Bird, uh, which is a story of uh, Kensington Gardens and London and in particular, that little boy that was abandoned by his family. And, and so... Um, it's pretty interesting because when you do read Peter Pan, you get a sense of that person who writes for the stage because a lot of the uh, a lot of the stories and the action and even the sets, they're very vivid in a way that I think someone writing for stage would naturally be inclined to do. Yes. And also uh, what I enjoy about Peter Pan, we can get into the more um, the social commentary, the, the themes of it, which are quite dark, actually, when you think about it. But what I like about Peter Pan, and I think what many children have always liked about Peter Pan, is that it felt like it came from a place of sheer creation. Um, and while there are roots in, for example, he had a St. Bernard dog. Um, you know, there was a, a real life Wendy. Peter um, was based on a Peter, uh, one of the Lulin Davis boys, which again, we have to talk about later on. Um, while the there is a foundation in reality, there were inspirations from reality. 
Peter Pan um, feels like the best version of the kinds of stories you tell children when they ask you for a story. Um, you know, when, whenever it is that you meet a child or you're with a child that you love who then says, tell me a story. Um, you know, this is the kind of story that most children want to be told, one of adventure, one of a world in which anything is possible, in which there is danger and a little bit of threat. Uh, but there's also friendship and, and, you know, bonds and Tinkerbell and mermaids. And, you know, so I, I think that the, the beautiful thing about Peter Pan is exactly that combination of coming from a place of, of pure creative energy and writing with an eye or a thought for how it is that that could then be staged. Because um, that's what makes the set pieces within, I mean, the set pieces as they are written, so impressive. So I'm sure we'll get more into his actual writing later, but um, you mentioned the Llewellyn Davies, but where a lot of this, I think, has its beginnings is really in his personal relationships, right? Because um, Jane Barry was married um, to Mary Ansel, actually, but according to most uh, reports, it was not really... Um, it wasn't really a marriage that worked. Um, they were estranged for many years and uh, she essentially had an affair with someone else. Um, eventually, they separated altogether. Um, it's, it's, it's claimed that they never consummated the marriage, for instance. So there's a lot of personal unhappiness that uh, J.M. Barry's life story displays. But in contrast to, them, that, to that then, he um, ends up finding this almost alternate family, the, the Llewellyn Davies Davies family to uh, form, I think, uh, a large part of what he considered his family and uh, particularly the boys, because he then for the rest of his life ended up being a de facto guardian to them. Well, de facto guardian, yes, but also actual financial support. Um, mm. So we, when we refer to the Llewellyn Davies boys, uh, we are talking about five. Um, so George, John, who was otherwise known as Jack, Peter, obviously very significant, um, Michael and Nicholas. Um, and they were actually befriended by J.M. Barry in a park. Um, more specifically, the oldest two. So George and Jack met him um, or, you know, became acquainted with him while they were playing in a park and he saw them and would entertain them by, you know, like, um, acting silly with his dog or uh, telling stories, you know, and that is how he made the acquaintance of the family. And then he met uh, their mother, Sylvia, separately. And um, it's that that actually formed a connection between them that resulted in, after the death of their parents, him actually supporting them financially in totality, uh, but also serving as their guardian. And I think, um, you know, while we're no longer in the time period in which J.M. Barry lived, I think that this, and this is something we see even in the life of Lewis Carroll, for instance, there is always a discomfort um, in talking about authors who write about children befriending children. Um, and despite the fact that everybody involved has always maintained that there was never impropriety. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? And and I mean, ultimately, at this point, it's only the people who involved who are involved who would really know the truth. Um, for what it's worth, none of this has ever been uh, proven in any way. And in fact, as you said, the people involved have always said that it was a paternal sort of relationship. And they often refer to J.M. Barry as being quite childlike himself. Um, 
so yes, I guess what we do know, though, is that um, he went to quite great lengths to be able to have custody of the boys. Um, in fact, even to the point of um, he reworded their mother's will, Sylvia's will, so that um, it would indicate that he could he could care for them alongside their nanny, Mary Hodgson. Um, and so there's there's a lot of these odd sort of um, stories that surround this particular relationship. But I think it's also true that it was this this family and these boys that shaped a lot of the kind of work that he did as well. We're talking today about the life and times of J.M. Barry. Um, in our monthly bibliography episode, we'd like to hear from you. Um, do you enjoy Peter Pan? Do you enjoy J.M. Barry's other works? Uh, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. Brainy, fancy material. BFM 89.9. Thank you, and good evening. Sir James M. Barry, who wrote The Old Lady Shows Her Medals, spoke to the hearts of men and women, agelessly and unforgettably. His touching story of a London charwoman in the years of the First World War is an enduring testament to faith and courage. And here to play the role of that charwoman, called Mrs. Dowie, I am privileged to present the beloved star of stage and screen, Miss Faye Bainter. Hello, everybody. It's By the Book with Lynn and Shamila. We're continuing now our monthly bibliography deep dive into the works and the life of J.M. Barry. So uh, we've referenced Peter Pan for a while now, and I think it's time that we really talk about um, the, the various iterations of the story of Peter Pan, because since it began life as uh, well as a character in a short story who then became a play um, and then that then morphed into a novel uh, there wasn't actually a sort of set in stone script for Peter Pan until I think it was 1928 because prior to that um, with every new production with every new iteration he'd actually been tinkering with it along the way and so there are different versions available but the broad strokes of the story remain the same you know there is a boy who refuses to grow up who is looking for a surrogate mother uh, there is a fairy who lives on the strength of belief there is a pirate who is hunting down the boy who will never grow up who is conveniently always played by the father of the surrogate mother Wendy and so yes. you know there are all these aspects, um, and yeah, I think that the the bones of Peter Pan have been have stayed the same for many years. I think though that what he intended Peter Pan to be, however, might have evolved along the way as well, and and you can see that even in as something as simple as what the book was called or what the play was called because the play was called Peter Pan and then the book or rather the early version of the book, he actually named it Peter and Wendy. Um, so it is in fact supposed to be a story that is equally about Peter, the boy who won't grow up, and Wendy, the girl who eventually had to, right? And then that evolved again. And the final the final book, as we know it, is often called Peter Pan. But I think all of these kind of point to the... Uh, the almost uh, constant work in progress nature of the story. And I think the fact that even for J.M. Barry himself, the book was in many ways uh, an evolving living thing. It, it reflected the things he saw in the, in the children around him. It reflected his own, I think, uh, the tragedies of his life, but also the ways in which he learned to contend with them. Um, and, and perhaps I think in some ways, that's why it resonates so deeply and for so long, because this isn't a book in some ways that, 
was written in a point in time. In fact, instead, it was something that came into being bit by bit. Yes, and those bits are often very sad. So um, I, I think that the thing about Peter Pan is that if you are a casual watcher or if you're only familiar with, the, the again, the broad story, the general story around it and not necessarily looking into the various addendums that have been made or, um, you know, actually reading... I suppose reading the thing free of the the levity of the animation or even of the the stage plays there's a lot of sadness in there there's a lot of abandonment um there is Peter himself is actually a very callous character um there's a lot going on within the plays that uh, or within the text that's quite telling. Um, there's stuff about death um, and whether one would consider death a great adventure, whether life and growing up is instead the adventure that we should aspire to. There are all these things um, and tensions that exist within the play. And actually, these sorts of social tensions were things that existed in J.M. Barry's other works as well, um, You know, which featured, for example, a, a spinster aunt who was pretending to be her niece in order to um, in order to maintain some sort of flirtatious relationship with an old suitor. There was another play that focused on a woman um, choosing not to be married once she was able to earn her own money. And so, you know, I think it's it's a little... Uh, my point being that you can see these sort of more serious, more adult, darker themes um, extending its way through his work. Yeah, I think... Um the Disneyfication of Peter Pan in many ways uh, has moved quite far away from the darkness or the sadness that's at the heart of the story. Yes, there's lots of adventure. Yes, there's, you know, swashbuckling and mermaids and all of these things. Um, but it is also ultimately about abandoned children or foundlings, um, you know, kids who don't have parents and, and don't even understand what it's like to have adults in their life, uh, the tension between uh, the different classes even, because a lot of these boys who ended up as lost boys uh, were, you know, the the lower classes of that time. Um, so I think there's a lot there that as an adult you pick up on that makes for a, a, perhaps a sadder read than when if you read it as a child. And in fact, I think I didn't even realize that the version of Peter Pan that I had read for the longest time was an abridged version um, that was meant for younger readers. And it was only, I think, maybe about 10 years ago that I read the full novel and I ended up feeling, I think, a lot sadder and, and more disturbed. That line that you said, uh, to die would be an awfully big adventure. I mean, that stays with me because there's something so sad about that, about, about Peter Pan saying that, in fact. Um, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you are our resident performing arts person um, and ask you what you make of the staging of the various Peter Pans over the years, um, particularly its transition now into Around the World, a panto, right? Uh, more so than the original play. Instead, now it's, it's a pantomime. The, so in other words, the sequence where uh, Peter turns to the audience and says, you know, Tinkerbell needs you mm -hmm. um, has now in essence become the entire performance um, so that's one thing and the other thing is the fact that Peter's always been played by a woman so I love these elements. Um, I'm not at all discounting the power of having something like this. And I think that, again, I go back to this story was meant to be performed. And there's so much about it that's so performative um, that I'm glad that it's still performed so commonly and so frequently. Um, I do wish, though, that the panto simplified childlike version of the story um, 
was also performed in tandem with other versions. Um, and I think the other versions are not as common. You do see certain stagings of them here and there, but a lot of them tend to be more child focused. I do love the fact that it's played by a woman though, as I do the fact that the uh, father, Mr. Darling and Captain Hook are always the same actor, which is kind of a tradition in theater. Um, I, 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 I've never actually watched a staging though, and I'd love to. Me neither. I, I don't know if we've had one come um, or if somebody's done one. I, I'm, I'm assuming that there has been, but I just have not actually had the opportunity to to go and I think that that also um, ironically speaks in some ways to who Peter Pan is for because at this point in time um, I think that most people think that Peter Pan is purely the purview of children that even if a play came you would go for your kids you would not necessarily go for yourself Um, and yet again if we go back to the original text I think that there's a lot of sadness and depth that exists in there that's quite specific to the adult experience not necessarily the child's. I completely agree. I also think that um, there haven't been enough great uh, movie adaptations of Peter Pan itself. Um, And we're going to talk about that in footnotes and and I have some definite thoughts. Uh, But I think that it's one of those things that's ripe for that kind of examination, perhaps even a TV show. I don't know. Uh, I wanted to close off, actually, because we've been talking about um, Jim Barry in some ways. Um, you know, we started off talking about how his life or his childhood was mired in a certain amount of tragedy. Uh, we've talked about the breakdown of his marriage, uh, the modern reassessment in some ways of his personal relationships. But um, he was actually a very well-connected writer in mm-hmm. his day. Um, so again, many of the authors we've talked about were your classic impoverished artist, you know, um, and, and stayed that way for a significant chunk of their lives, if not the entirety. But that's not the case for J.M. Barry. He was uh, successful in his time. He had a very wide circle of friends with whom he apparently played cricket. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of things going on. And when I say a wide circle, I mean a wide circle. We're talking about people uh, like P.G. Wodehouse, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, G.K. Chesterton, uh, Walter Raleigh, just any number of authors who were alive and living in England at the time. You know, us being so removed, right, you don't actually think these authors all lived at the same time. But, you know, George Bernard Shaw, H.G. Wells. um, Yeah, you mentioned a number of people there. I think it's just like the list goes on and on. And I'm just like boggled by the idea of all of these people hanging about playing cricket together. Robert Louis Stevenson was another one. And on that note of him being successful, actually... um, it's well known that he lived off of the royalties of Peter Pan very comfortably. Um, It's often said that he didn't actually have to do any more work post Peter Pan. And, you know, again, amidst all of the stories of authors not recognized in their time, J.M. Barry wasn't one of those. He also actually left the, um, his will was interesting. So he provided for the um, Llewellyn Davis boys or the survivors, or the surviving Llewellyn Davis boys because two of them died in uh, one in the war and subsequently another one uh, drowned sadly at the I think before he turned 21. But the other boys were supported um, as part of J.M. Barry's will. Uh, he continued to leave an annuity to it, uh, for his ex-wife. Um, and most interestingly, and one that still gets brought up quite a bit today, basically the copyright or rather the rights to all the related Peter Pan works have been left to Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. Now, this has been contested um, because it's it, because basically there have been expiries, you know, 50 years after he passed and so on and so forth. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, this is something that at least for now, the hospital still maintains. It's a hospital for children. Yes, um, it is. And and I think that's actually uh, one of my favorite things about his legacy. The fact that a man who wrote this book about lost children um, left such a legacy to uh, an institution that provides for children. I, I've always loved that bit of trivia. We've been talking today about J.M. Barry and his life, work and legacy. We'd like to hear from you. Um, you know, basically, have you read J.M. Barry's works? Have you read Peter Pan recently? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. brings us to footnotes um, in which we're going to discuss the adaptations uh, of J.M. Barry's work. And of course, I mean, uh, considering the bulk of our show has been focused on Peter Pan, that's the natural next spot. I know. I mean, where else would we begin, right? For me, my first Peter Pan adaptation was obviously the Disney one. Um, and in some ways, I think shaped certain mental images of what these characters might look like or um, how they might speak or behave, which is good and bad in many ways. Uh, and Peter Pan has some problematic aspects, I think, if you rewatch it today as a modern audience. But I still think it's actually a great um, a great adaptation of his work. Um, I also think that it's darker than many people realize. When you rewatch it, Peter's selfishness or Tinkerbell's uh, anger, those are things that I think you wouldn't necessarily see in a children's book, a children's uh, film anymore. I love the animation of mm. um, Peter Pan. I think that it stands up really beautifully. Uh, I love the way that Neverland looks um, in the context of the um, in the context of the film. I also think that Hook and Smee um, have become oh. you know somewhat iconic, right? Like, or even the when people think of Peter Pan today, I think the most immediate image um, in terms of how they look, uh, how Peter might look what he might be wearing, what all the various attendant characters would be wearing, all of that would actually stem from that particular animation. Uh, it does, however, and, and before we get to the other adaptations, open up that question about um, about Tiger Lily and, and the ways in which the Native American community are represented. Because, of course, they're hugely exoticized and, um, and treated as such in the play. That then got translated into the Disney version. And that, in many ways, is the... Um, well, is the power of stereotype, because this is something that I think the community still contends with today, that they do not greet people by saying how it's not all smoke signals. And yeah, there's a whole song that dwells yeah. on, on how, right? Yeah, um, those are absolutely the parts that I find really difficult to watch now, even though the the visual appeal of the film and, and the songs, right? We can fly, um, you know, one of those iconic songs that 
for any child immediately th- makes you think of Peter Pan. Um, I did want to say, though, that an underrated adaptation that people don't give a lot of shine to, and yet I think actually is my favorite adaptation, is the 2003 movie, the one that stars Jason Isaacs as Captain Hook, and the father, in fact. Um, and and uh, it, it was directed by PJ Hogan, kind of flew under the radar. I'm not even sure whether it came here in the cinemas. But that did a much better job of the um, the, the grayness of Peter Pan. I haven't seen that. Um, but I mean, the idea of Jason Isaacs playing Captain Hook is, mm-hmm. is deeply appealing. Um, how do we feel about Hook? I love Hook. Even um, though the people involved have all disavowed it, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. But I love Hook, I think, because of Robin Williams. Yeah. I, also, I watched it at a particular age when I loved it. And, you know, Rufio and, and it's... It's one of those adaptations, I think, that managed to get by on the strength of its casting and the fact that it's just so much fun watching them do these crazy things. I agree. Um, It is one of those things where you can see why, as an adult, uh, these adults would not have enjoyed being a part of this film. You know, it's it's one of those things. It's very clear. Um, But like you, I watched it when I was a child. um, And so I accepted it for what it was. I thought it was really campy fun. Um, I appreciated that Peter had to grow up. And so that's that's kind of who we're contending with now, as opposed to always having a child like Peter. But at the same time, if you come and say that, you know what, Hook is one of the worst films that was ever made, I would not disagree. I, I don't think that there is necessarily, um, you know, anything to disagree about. It's just one of those things. And it's not even really an adaptation, is it? Because it's more an exploration of, or an extension of the world and the story. Now, um, I think it's worth saying at this point that we've uh, we've been talking about adaptations of the work, but actually there have also been a lot of biopics on Jam Barry himself. Yes, and um, one of my favorite movies of all time actually is Finding Neverland, um, and where obviously Johnny Depp plays J.M. Barry uh, and Kate Winslet plays Sylvia Llewellyn Davis. It's a slightly idealized version, I'm sure, of what the real story was, but on the strength of the performances on the, and on the strength of, I think, shedding some light on this writer who, for all of his living large, uh, was was a fairly uh, introverted and and tragic guy in many ways. And I think that movie does a really good job doing that. I agree. Um, You know, controversy aside, that's one of, that's a rather lovely understated film. And I think that that's not a term that's often used in association with Peter Pan. Um, And so, yes, I I think that that's a nice one to recommend. So uh, we've been talking today, well, in this part of things, at least, adaptations of Peter Pan and also of J.M. Barry's life. Um, More broadly, this episode has been dedicated to the work, legacy and lifetime of J.M. Barry, uh, best known perhaps for writing Peter Pan. We'd like to hear from you. um, Have you read Peter Pan? Do you plan to have you watched these films? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.